Hello and welcome to Humanize the Hustle. I'm Alicia Slaughter, and I created this podcast for health-conscious corporate professionals, working parents, and entrepreneurs. Join me and special guests as we talk about the latest in mind-body wellness. Here, we believe that health and happiness is non-negotiable. And just a reminder, this podcast is for the purpose of education only and is not a replacement for medical help. Please seek out the help of a trained professional for help with your specific situation. Okay, now on with the episode. Hey, hey, welcome back to Humanize the Hustle. Today, we're diving into the captivating world of fungi, exploring their remarkable medicinal powers and culinary delights. Fungi is an amazing organism. They play an essential role in ecosystems, nutrient cycling, and human health. They're not just a source of food, too. They hold significant potential as medicine. For most of my life, I was familiar with the common button mushroom. However, when I started my holistic health coaching studies, I began to learn about the incredible benefits of mushrooms like shiitake, for example, which provide powerful anti-inflammatory benefits to our bodies. Since then, I've been fascinated and eager to learn more about their importance for both human health and the health of our planet. Joining us today is Paul Lazazera a true fungi enthusiast with over nine years of experience foraging, studying, and cultivating mushrooms. And he's not just obsessed with mycology, but he's also dedicated to sustainable and conscious business practices through his mushroom popsicle business, Santa Cruz Fungi. Paul's passion for mushrooms is inspiring, and I can't wait to pick his brain about medicinal mushrooms, cultivation, and foraging. Fungi are among the most important organisms in the world due to their vital roles in ecosystems, nutrient cycling, and various human applications. Beyond human health, fungi hold extraordinary diversity and significance in the natural world, with various roles in human culture and science. While we often hear about their culinary and psychedelic uses, the medicinal potential of fungi is equally remarkable. After all, the very first antibiotic, penicillin, was derived from the fungi penicillium. But before we dive into this fascinating discussion, let me remind you why Humanize the Hustle exists. We're here to empower you to live a happier and healthier life. So if you're looking for natural solutions to reduce stress and fight inflammation, this podcast episode is for you. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe, comment, and share with your friends. All right, folks, Paul and I have our mushroom popsicles at the ready. Yes, that's a thing. And we're eager to dive deep into the magical world of fungi. Welcome to Humanize the Hustle, Paul. Let's get started as we explore the enchanting world of fungi. Welcome. Sweet. Thank you so much for having me. It's my first podcast, so I'm stoked. So really happy stoked. to be here. And you come bringing presents, which is uh, a new thing for me. So I think I'm going to have more people in person that come bringing presents. Nice. For those of you that are not watching uh, the video, Paul brought a lot of his, um, a whole, uh, very many options of all of his popsicles. So we'll talk a little bit about those in a bit and, and start, you might hear us eating popsicles here in a minute, but, um, I, I'm so interested to dig in and just like pick all of the knowledge that you have in your brain and just learn how you got started and so many things that you guys are doing. I'm really just so into. So thank you again for joining. And where I thought we start is always, you know, a good place to start at the beginning. Um, and what ignited your passion for mushrooms? And, uh, you know, you were talking earlier before we started about how you used to be a special education teacher. So how did you get started with mushrooms? Like what what turned you on to this? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of places I feel like I could start. But uh, the best place is that I've always really been into like fishing and uh, like foraging for local herbs, stuff like that. Um, and it was something like self-sufficiency has been really big to me. Um, so I was like, you know what? I really want to learn how to go out and pick mushrooms. 
it would be so cool to be able to go into the forest and come back with like dinner. Um, and when I first started doing it, everybody I knew, all my family and friends were like, well, it was nice knowing you, you know, like you're going to kill yourself. What are you doing? Like, that's so stupid that you would do that. Um, and, uh, yeah, but you know, give me a little credit. Come on. Uh, I'm not, you're going to show them. Yeah, exactly. No, but I mean, honestly, I was like picking mushrooms for probably a year before I ate any of them. Uh, cause I was very careful about it. Uh, cause you know, we live in a very like, um, uh, like mushroom fearful community mm. or not community society. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, it, the way it sounds in mainstream culture is like every mushroom out there is going to kill you. And realistically, there's thousands of species of mushrooms and so few of them are toxic. Mm. Uh, with that said, I'm always very certain about what the species is that I've picked before I actually eat it. Um, so yeah, that was where it all started. Uh, and also it's just, I don't know what it is. I've always been really fascinated with the small things in nature. Like some of my favorite flowers are those like tiny little orange ones that you see growing up between the cracks of the sidewalk a lot. Um, so just, yeah, being able to see the magic in small things in nature was just so rewarding. Uh, and some of the colors that mushrooms uh, make are just ridiculous, like purples and golds and, and reds glow and glow in the dark. Yeah, that's insane. Uh, and then the shapes too, they're like little alien creatures. Um, so it was just, it really opened up a whole world to me. Uh, and also like, I really like hiking, um, but without that little bit of extra incentive of possibly getting dinner for myself, I tend not to do it that much. Uh, but even in like the dry season when mushrooms really aren't sticking around, uh, I just know there's a possibility that I might be able to go out and find, uh, like something medicinal or something that's just even ornamental. Uh, cause we actually have, um, mushrooms worked into the decor in our house oh i love that yeah like wait like mushrooms growing no so like um there's like bracket fungi um stuff called ganoderma uh which that name means like i think like wood skin something like that but they're very woody mushrooms um and uh, what i did is i i harvest them as whole as i could took them home and then um we mounted them on this piece of driftwood that we have in our living room and so it looks like the mushrooms are growing out of it, but they're fully dehydrated. They're not like so spreading funny. spores throughout the house. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like, yeah, we would love it. Sometimes my plants in my house grow mushrooms. Really? Yeah. yeah. So I thought, I mean, hey, I I'd believe you if you said you're growing mushrooms in your house. And then I would ask you to please tell me how I could do it with purpose. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I can do that too. Yeah. Because people, if you're listening online, my house is filled with plants. And so as much as I could grow inside, um, I would absolutely love it. And back to the foraging is so interesting. So, I mean, my favorite show growing up was Little House on the Prairie. And I I didn't grow up in a family that was like, you know, um, was self-sufficient at all. I mean, they were very much, you know, they didn't grow any of their own food. But for some reason, I've always been really into it. And I've and I've not been very good at it, to be honest with you. Um, and the foraging for mushrooms, like I think you have to have like a special power to be able, like people can find the mushrooms out there. And I guess as, as you get better at it, you know what to look for. But I've gone out a number of times and there, it's hard for me to find. And then if you do have a mushroom spot, you don't tell anybody. Yeah, it is like true. secret. Yeah. Yeah. Very much the same as like fishing spots, you know, yes. where it's like, yeah, there might be some fishing spots you share, but then like the really good ones, like you're not telling even your best friends about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been trying to find a mushroom foraging friend. So there might be a little bit of a, of that in this too, because we're going to be besties and oh, they yeah. might take me foraging. and I'd be so excited. Yeah, I would love um, to do that. 
Because then you also have, like you were talking about before, you have to know what you're looking for. Yeah. And it is a little scary. Like, I don't feel confident. But the more time you spend, and I'm sure you have all the mushroom books and the identification, and there's such an there's such an art and science to it, um, which is also super cool. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so foraging, maybe tell me about, like, how you got started with foraging and maybe, like, one of the most memorable experiences. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so the very first time that I remember actually intentionally going out to look for mushrooms, um, and this is kind of what I've learned along the way is that when you're looking for mushrooms, the first thing you look for is the right trees because you always need to, or not always, but largely if you're hunting a specific species, you're looking for the trees that it kind of, um, correlates with. And so I was, oaks are good. Yes. Oaks are good. And so I was driving on one here, Mm -hmm. like just right in front of Soquel. And I was like, oh man, that's a thick patch of oaks over there. So I actually stopped my car on Highway 1 and hopped out and ran into the trees and ended up finding these really cool things called um, purple amethyst mushrooms. Just has this like gorgeous purple color. Um, I think they are actually edible. Uh, they might cause like some kind of digestive upset, but mostly I was just like, this is gorgeous. It was like finding a gem out in the woods. Well, it wasn't really the woods, but you know, on the side of the road. But I mean, no, having you have the mushroom radar, you're like, you know... <laughs> uh zoned in pulled over and then you find them like yeah. that's a skill it is <laughs> but at the same time i was talking with a friend of mine who was doing a research study on uh, modern culture around foraging mm-hmm. um and what i think is so interesting is i think that uh like i've heard it said that 90 percent of the brain is um used in processing and recognizing patterns mm-hmm. and i think that you know we have thousands of years of foraging that's just in our dna um so i think that that like our brain is really um adapted to that it's primal it like takes you back so cellularly to like where we're supposed to be yeah and that's the other thing about my my desire to be more connected to nature is like you know i sit in front of a computer all day and so many people do and just whatever gets you outside and to be able to have that connection with nature i think it you know it it's a nervous system regulating and like so many of us don't have that and so you know, whether you get hiking or whether you have the mushroom powers like you have and like just having that full circle of I'm going to go out and then I'm going to actually find food. Yeah. It's so super cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I think honestly, like when we walk into a grocery store, mm-hmm. we're using, I, I believe, like the exact same part of our brains that we would be using looking for mushrooms. Oh, that's interesting. Um, you know, and it's like all the marketing, all these products, they all look so appealing with these like vivid colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's even been a few times when I've gone shopping and realized that like most of the products that I bought had the same uh, like tone of color. Like oh. there's a, a color of purple that's on like yogurt, organic granola, and it, they just kind of, I don't know. Yeah. Even like organic products versus conventional products, they have different color patterns to them. Um, Interesting. I always feel like going to the grocery store is like very disconnected from nature, but yeah. now I'll just- Oh, it is. Yeah. Now, but, but I like that outlook, you know, where it's like, this is the society we live in. So if you could just think of it as like, grocery store foraging that's like maybe more positive well i mean i guess i'm trying to um get to the point that like we use that part of our brain so it's like while i have had been fortunate enough to get out and kind of cultivate um the like mushroom specific part of that um that we all innately have this ability uh and so it's like yeah it does take getting like what we call like the eye and so i take a lot of people mushroom foraging who haven't done it before yeah and if uh, i have this rule that um when we first go out the first person to find a mushroom leaves it and then have everybody gather close by don't point to it and don't tell them where it is let them find it on their own and that just like sears that pattern into your brain and then you're able to kind of apply that more broadly to what all the little uh, nuances of those same species might look like yeah 
And so when you are foraging, let's say you find mushrooms, I mean, first you want to make sure that they're the right mushrooms. And I know around here, I was like chanterelles or, you know, there's a season for chanterelles and I love it because it's like, um, and I don't know if this is unique to Santa Cruz. I grew up here and so I don't really have experience with living other places. So it feels, it feels very special. Um, but like when the chanterelles are in season, especially last year, like uh, my daughter worked for a restaurant, um, Cafe Mare downtown, oh, yeah, and they yeah. have someone there that goes and forages it, forages, and they couldn't even get through the chanterelles that they had. It was like abundance. Wow. I don't know if you experienced that too. Yeah. But she was bringing home, home like uh, grocery bags, like paper grocery bags of chanterelles. Wow. Um, but do you, so when you forage, my question was, is, are you supposed to like leave some or break some up so that the spores, like, is there like, you know, how to be like a good forager and then how to be, you know, a bad forager? Yeah. Um, so I will say just off the bat, uh, there have been no studies that have shown that picking mushrooms negatively impacts the actual organism itself. Uh, with that said, small mushrooms, I tend to leave there. Uh, mushrooms are 90% water. So after you cook them, you can imagine they're about a 10th of the size that they were when you picked them. So if you're picking little mushrooms like that, honestly, it's like not even worth stooping down and grabbing them. Uh, so I do tend to leave a lot of mushrooms. Um, but at the same time, it's like the most resilient organism there is, you know, um, like, uh, what is it? Uh, lichen mm -hmm. is a symbiosis of, uh, fungi, bacteria, and algae or a combination of two of those three and that is the most resilient organism on earth um, nasa has been looking into growing it in space it can survive the vacuum of space and still live afterwards so uh they've been here before us a long time and they will probably be here long after us so i'm not too worried about hurting them um pretty indestructible yeah yeah but with that said uh i have been to places uh, especially because there's so many there's a very limited number of public spaces where it's legal to go mushroom foraging that those spaces a lot of times with the demand um that you know so many people want to get into mushroom foraging that the habitat will get trampled um and i don't really know what the long-term impacts of that are but i just know visiting that it has a bit of a visceral reaction where i'm like oh this is really unfortunate um yeah, yeah yeah just the way that people don't leave things as they were yeah they really just like rip it all up just to try to get, get what they they can without being having treating things with a little bit more respect yeah and so yeah i mean just don't yeah you would think there's common sense but maybe some people have more than others as as we we learn yeah <laughs> yeah yeah makes sense um so let's change uh topics to talk about medicinal uses of mushrooms yeah. and so maybe talk about some of the wild mushrooms that you forward forage and some of their medicinal benefits like what are your favorites Oh, I mean, a fresh porcini is like, mwah, so good. Yeah. Um, and it's crazy too. Like, uh, I will, porcini are one of the few, uh, wild mushrooms that you can eat raw. Um, and raw, it's really good. You can slice it really thin, kind of like a, like a vegan, uh, vegan carpaccio, and then just put olive oil and salt on it. It's really good like that. But my favorite is just cooked in a pan with just olive oil or maybe butter and salt and that's it. And it's just fantastic. Uh, and porcini have a really high content of beta-glucans, um, which are an antioxidant that once it passes through your gut membrane, uh, it turns into something called activated particles. And those activated particles were, will basically like circulate throughout your body and find things that shouldn't be there, like tumor cells, cancer cells, bacterial infections, and uh, oddly enough, fungal infections. And it marks it for destruction by your immune system. Uh, and you know, and when I say it has a high content of it, I mean, if you dry a porcini mushroom out, 
um, at least the stem for sure has, uh, by dry weight, 20% of its constituents are beta-glucans. So it has a really strong amount of uh, antioxidants in there. And that's not even going into the novel compounds, which I don't, there hasn't been a whole bunch of research on the novel compounds in Porcini. Mm -hmm. But just the more I learn about mushrooms, the more that I learn that pretty much every single mushroom has some kind of magical compound mm -hmm. in it that does something really good for your body. Yeah. yeah. My favorite are the adaptogenic properties of mushrooms. And so maybe, uh, maybe highlight one of your favorite adaptogenic mushrooms. For sure. Yeah. I mean, probably turkey tail, mm -hmm. you know, turkey tail is such a good adaptogen. And that uh, grows around here too, right? Yeah. It's probably the most prolific mushroom that we have growing around here. You can find it year round. Uh, there's only one lookalike, uh, well, actually there might be two lookalikes for them, but mm -hmm. it's really simple to tell which one is the right kind and which ones aren't. Mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah, you can make a tea out of them. Um, but with that said, a lot of the edible mushrooms, cause the turkey tails are really tough. Mm -hmm. It's like almost rubbery. So you would never work that into a dish. Uh, but if you were going to make a tincture or an extract or a tea or a powder, yeah, you could powder you could dry it. and powder it. Yeah, for sure. Capsules, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's like still a lot of medicinal benefit. And I think most mushrooms are adaptogens mm. where they really help your body find that balance. Um, you know, like turkey tails in particular, if your immune system is way over ramped, it'll bring it down to where it should be. If it's kind of underperforming, it'll bring it up to where it should be. So but smart. The, the balance, you know, and that's uh, it's really interesting to me how they have that function in our bodies and they also have that function in the environment. Uh, one of the things like when I first learned about mushrooms and when I first was thinking about starting this business I mean, first of all, I was like, okay, I want to model this business after mycelium, um, which is mycelium is just like the underground uh, part of the organism and mushrooms are just the fruiting body. So that's like apples on an apple tree or something. So you, you know, you pick them, but the tree is still there and um, it's a relatively minor part of that organism. So two things I just wanted to pause on. Um, for those that don't know what adaptogenic compounds are, they help to bring, they help your body deal with stress, the negative impacts of stress. So stress is super bad for us and what adaptogens do and here add anything that you might want to add. Yeah. But adaptogens help kind of combat the negative reaction that your body has to stress. So um, yeah, adaptogens are some of my favorite things in this world. We live in a very high stress world and where a lot of stress you can't avoid. It just helps your body protect itself against the negative impacts. Yeah. Anything dead? Yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, because we wear rubber soled shoes, mm -hmm. uh, we don't ground our static electricity into the ground and we end up walking around with a lot of static electricity, mm -hmm. which uh, just increases cortisol levels. And then that causes damage to various parts of your body. Um, so mushrooms, especially like chaga, chaga is a really uh, potent adaptogen and antioxidant. And so that can kind of uh, you know, I would say it would probably be best to walk around without shoes for a bit too, but also bringing that into your diet, you're just kind of attacking this problem from multiple angles. That's yeah. another good one. Chaga. So we've, um, turkey tail, chaga, porcini we've uh -huh. talked about so porcini, far. Yeah. Okay. Did I forget? I want everyone to be writing these down. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then you talked about my, my, mycelium. Am I saying that right? Yeah, mycelium. And yeah. so this is something I've tripped out on, and I, I just want to see what you think of my analogy if we're talking about the same thing. But mycelium is like the underground network of all the connections of all the, the different fungi, right? And it's like all over the world, right? So even though you see the fruiting bodies, there's this underground connection of all everything is kind of connected, even trees. Yeah. I think the mycelium, what I understand 
connects trees to even talk to each other, it connects all living beings together. And it will even help like if one tree needs something, will help connect like energy from different plants under the ground. Yeah. Um, and so I was up at, um, I had this aha moment when we went up to the, um, the fantastic world of fungi that was up at the museum in San Francisco. They have those nighttime things oh, and they nice. had all these great speakers. I think it's a natural history museum. But I was like, mycelium is like the fascia of the earth. Would you agree? You know, it's like we have this underlying thing in our bodies. And I was like, it's kind of like that. So I don't know. I have I felt like that's how I related to it, where it was like underground everywhere, just like we have this kind of underground layer on our beneath our skin, you know, that kind of connects everything. So anyways, that was my aha moment. Nice. Um, yeah. There, I don't know if you feel the same. I, I honestly, I don't know that much about yeah. fascia, but um, uh, one thing I would add to that point, though, is that so what I've heard is that uh, plants of the same species, mm-hmm. when their roots connect, they'll form nodes and they'll exchange carbohydrates and information. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with other species, they won't do that. Uh, but like uh, plants depend so heavily on fungi that they will give up to sixty percent of the carbohydrates that they generate to the fungi. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, fungi can also exchange, uh, like micronutrients and minerals across like pretty great distances. But so again, like in that, uh, like idea of adaptogenic and finding a balance, um, it just improves the overall health of the system. And so when I learned about that, I was like, wow, that's something that I want to bring into my life and try to embody that idea. Uh, and especially with our business too, you know, it's like, I don't care who you are. I, you know, I don't. I want you to be healthy. Like, yeah. you know, even if I don't like you, I still want you to be healthy. Right. Yeah. The the wellness of the the collective is more important than like the wellness of the individual. Yeah. And so by make I always feel like, you know, as a mom too, I I think about this sometimes, like by making myself healthier, then I, I show up better in everyone else's life. And then that helps make everyone else in my family healthier. So yeah. just in that same way, we're all we're all really wanting the same thing, even yeah. though it feels like sometimes we we fight against that. But I, I love that. I love how you're taking the idea of the the foundational elements of of fungi and applying it to everything in your life. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. It's funny, like uh, some people too, when I told them about that, mm-hmm. like I'm going to model this business after mycelium. And, and I was like, we're just going to, we're going to start with ourselves and then we're going to spread out naturally and see where we go. Yeah. Uh, and I think if you were like an investor and you heard someone say that, you'd be like, I'm out, you know, like this guy's crazy because <laughs> yeah. it's not like a very directed, um, yeah, like the intention of it wasn't directed in any given direction. I mean, I did start with growing mushrooms, mm-hmm. um, but you know, it was through that natural process that we found ourselves now making mushroom infused popsicles, which is like such a weird idea and so, cool. so happy to be here. Well, not everybody likes to eat mushrooms. Like I hear that a lot, you know, the cons- consistency is a little weird. Some people don't like the taste. And so actually that was the next thing I wanted to ask you about yeah. was, so you guys cultivate your own mushrooms. So I'd uh, love- not currently. Oh, you yeah, don't. Okay. Yeah. But you, do you make the extracts? No. Okay. No, yeah. We actually, we source the extracts. Okay. Um, well- but you did. You have cultivated before. Yes, okay. Yeah. For almost two years, I was cultivating mushrooms at our house. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk before we go into like the extracts and and that type yeah. of thing. Um, talk to me. I want to talk a little bit about mushroom cultivation because I know you know uh, these days a lot of people they sell the kits. Yeah. And um and then I know some of my friends are even like growing like psychedelic mushrooms too. They have their whole things, and you can you can get the spores and everything. Yeah. So talk a little bit about cultivation and like what that process was like and what you're growing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, lion's mane was like 
my most inspirational mushroom when I was starting growing. Um, and part of that is like, it's a nootropic. It's really good for your nerves. It's good for your gut microbiome. It's a strong anti-inflammatory as well. Um, and then like kind of the, the icing on top was that it's really easy to grow. Oh, um, yeah, it's like oyster mushrooms are pretty much the easiest for beginners. Um, psychedelic mushrooms are really easy to grow too, mm-hmm. thankfully. Uh, and then lion's mane probably comes after those two as far as how easy it grows and how quickly it grows. Um, yeah. And it was like when I, I first started growing actually, uh, before I decided to start the business, uh, my wife was so cool about it. And I was like, I want to like create a, a chamber inside the house to grow mushrooms in. And I took over like half a room in our house and we have a small house. So mm-hmm. space is a precious commodity. Um, and she was uh, like awesome and fully supportive of it. But, uh, yeah, just like the, I'll take you through the general process of, of cultivating mushrooms. Uh, and so it starts with spawn, which a lot of people kind of liken to seeds. Uh, but essentially it's mycelium that is, um, that has all of the like genetics to create a fruiting body because spores on their own, uh, you actually need two spores to germinate and eat food and then connect with each other because alone, a single spore doesn't have the complete genetic makeup to create a mushroom. Um, so it's like female and male parts. Exactly. Yeah. And some mushrooms have up to like over 200 different mating types. So yeah, like female and male is like, at some point it's like, I don't even really understand how there's so many different types. Some work together and some don't. Um, yeah, so it can get really complicated. Um, so I always bought my spawn. Uh, I did, I made it a couple times, but it, it's a bit more of a complicated process where you need to be super clean. Uh, and even in what I was doing, you have to be clean. I had a really strong filter. Um, but yeah, essentially you start with your spawn which a lot of times they grow it on rye grain or millet. It's some kind of grain. Uh, sometimes it's grown on sawdust, uh, but you take this block and when you feel it, it's like, it feels solid. Uh, and in fact, if you dehydrated it, you could use it like a building material. And there are people who are working on something like that. Um, but, uh, you break it up into the smallest parts possible because each little grain in there, uh, can spread out. And so you kind of want to make a homogenous mixture of that and, uh, the substrate, which the most common substrate used to grow mushrooms are, uh, hardwood and, uh, soybean pellets. And it's kind of hard to get organic soybean pellets. Um, but online, if you're on it, you can get them. Uh, and so you mix those at a 50, 50 ratio and the soybean pellets provide a little bit of nitrogen and the wood provides carbon. And those two, uh, just make up pretty much the complete nutrients that mushrooms need to grow. So you get those things, you have to hydrate them to the correct level, uh, cause mushrooms again are at 90% moisture. So moisture is really critical throughout the whole process. Um, That's why they always come up after the rain. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you take a little bit of your spawn, you mix it with the substrate. Uh, well, I skipped a step, sorry. The substrate, you have to pasteurize it or sterilize it. Um, I was, uh, like doing a high temperature pasteurization. I made a thing that basically steamed a bunch of those blocks. Uh, and unfortunately they were in plastic bags, which is like, that's just common practice. Uh, I was doing my best to try and find a workaround so that I wouldn't have to use that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did use, um, buckets instead of bags. So, so that they were was... usable and you didn't have the, the trash. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause like, uh, I mean, yeah, you go to a major mushroom farm and there's like mountains of plastic bags. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's really unfortunate, but, um, I've heard it said that it, surprisingly they use less plastic than like strawberry farmers. 
Like yeah. if you're driving down by like Moss Landing, you can just see, you know, the, the plastic row covers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's unfortunate, but I'm sure somebody's going to figure out a better, more but sustainable way to do they're it. They're creating mushrooms that eat plastic. That's true. Yeah. So hopefully it will go full circle and yeah. it'll just eat the plastic at some point. Yeah. yeah actually, I, I was growing um, plastic eating mushrooms because there was one that there was like a big thing about a while back. Um, it was like they discovered it in the Amazon and it can eat plastics. Mm-hmm. So I took a, an old broken surfboard and broke it up into jars and uh, was basically like feeding it the, uh, feeding the surfboard to the mushrooms. And it was doing it? It wasn't really doing oh, it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's cool. You tried. Yeah, I tried. I was yeah. hoping because that would be so cool. I think turn a surfboard into mushrooms. <laughs> right. Yeah. That would be really cool. And so, sorry, I interrupted your no, process. No, yeah. Um, did you kind of go into end? Did you? Okay. So that sounds actually a little bit more complicated than I, I was thinking. And I, yeah. I've only bought the kit with the the block already done and it must have all that stuff already over it yeah. and you give the bag. And so I'm like, woo, it's easy. Yeah. But it, it is a little bit more involved, but it sounds really cool. And then where do you, what are some of the sources for the place that you get the stuff to do that? Uh, there's two companies that I really like. One is called North Spore and uh, they're on the East Coast, which is unfortunately like, the shipping is not ideal. And then the other is uh, Field and Forest and they're in the Midwest. And both of those are like just great companies. Mm-hmm. They were so easy to work with and had really high quality products. Yeah. Um, but on the side of keeping things simple and talking about cultivating mushrooms, we've actually been teaching a few classes up at Mountain Feed in oh, Ben Lomond. Oh, I actually saw yeah. you guys do that. And nice. I, yeah. I know Andy and Jora. That's oh, so yeah. Awesome. I yeah. love, yeah, they're so rad. Yeah. Their spot up there is so incredible. Yeah. Um, how fun. So you're teaching it and then um, up at Mountain Feed and Farm. Yeah. And, and then you also, do you give kits or do you just kind of explain and then here's where you get everything or how does that work? Um, a little bit of both. Uh, the last one we taught was an oyster class. And uh, with oysters, uh, it's a little bit more simple because you can just boil straw. Uh, there's a few different ways to pasteurize it that are even more low tech than that, but that's the best way that I've found to do it. You boil straw for an hour, take it out, let it drain and cool. And then you just make like a lasagna where at the bottom, you put a little spawn, a layer of straw, spawn, straw, spawn, uh, in a bucket that has holes in it. And then after like somewhere between 10 and, uh, three, 10 days and three weeks, mushrooms will be popping out of the side of it. Um, Yeah. So yeah, I'm really into like the low tech stuff too, where like the bucket's reusable, you know, there's just less plastic waste, which is nice. Yeah. Um, and then we also had a, a wine cap class, which is, um, if you wanted to grow stuff in your planters Mm -hmm. in here, that would be the way to go. I'll actually show you a picture of, uh, the. So using like wine corks. Oh no, that's the name of the the mushroom because it has kind of a, for those on the video. Yeah. If you can see that. Yeah. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, they almost look like potatoes, but yeah, um, super easy. Yeah, it's oh, just, they just uh, grow. Yeah, I I want yeah. there to be mushrooms growing out of all of my plants. I was really excited when they started growing. Yeah. Like, oh, little babies! Yay! <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want a ton Are those of edible? them. Edible? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wouldn't want a ton of them because uh, the spores can be harmful to your lungs. Um, oh, in the house. Yeah. Okay, that's a good. Yeah. And then they'll start working their way into places you don't want them, like your floor and stuff. Okay, like, yeah, ah, thanks, y'all. Yeah. Just calm down. You don't yeah. want that. You're like, actually, it's not a good thing that there's mushrooms growing I in mean, your plants. I still like, I still really enjoy it. We found a couple oyster mushrooms growing out of our plants. Yeah. I'm like, whoa, so cool. But, yeah. you know, if it got big, I'd be like, all right. Okay. Out. Okay, that's a good <laughs> warning. Um, so back to Lion's Mane. I just yeah. wanted to, to cover off on a couple things about Lion's Mane. So I wanted... Maybe you could talk about what are your favorite medicinal menif- benefits of lion's mane and then your favorite way to cook them. Ooh, yeah. So, yeah. So lion's mane, it was kind of tricky. Um, 
So a lot of mushrooms like button mushrooms, oyster mushrooms, uh, the way to cook them is you throw them in a pan without any oil or salt. Actually, you could salt them, but no oil or butter or anything like that because you want that moisture to come out of them. Uh, because anyone who's had a slimy mushroom, that's because whoever cooked them didn't take that step to release the moisture. Uh, so if you just cook them straight in oil and butter, a lot of times they can get that just unappealing texture. Yeah. Like slug. Uh, yeah. But lion's mane is kind of different. I found that lion's mane, you actually do want to put a good amount of oil in the pan, get it hot. And then I just slice them into probably like a quarter inch to half inch steaks, mm -hmm. uh, salt them and then put them in there until they turn just like a gorgeous golden brown pull them out. They get nice and crispy. Um, they're just fantastic like that. I always like to make them and uh, sometimes they remind me of scallops. Yeah. You cut them like the right size. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then what are some medicinal benefits? Yeah. I mean, my favorite, honestly, I have an autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually related to inflammation. It's ulcerative colitis. So I have uh, inflammation in my colon. Um, and I've just, I, I know that uh, lion's mane is really good for your gut microbiome. Um, which is like, I'm like anything that's good for my gut microbiome and is anti-inflammatory, I'm super into that. Mm -hmm. uh, so it kind of hits those two bases. And I also know that a lot of the chemicals um, that uh, are generated in our bodies are generated in our stomachs. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if your stomach isn't doing great, it's going to probably send off some chemicals that, you know, are not going to feel so great. It's kind of like a warning signal. Yeah. Um, and I'm not a doctor. I'm just kind of like, no, yeah. but yeah, it's. Yeah, everybody, uh, and I, my, my either my intro or my extra or my outro on my podcast does remind people that this is for entertainment and always talk with your doctor yeah. and we are not giving health advice. So um, good call out yeah. though. Uh, do, do you know if you can eat too many mushrooms? Uh, I mean, as far as I know, not really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, there are certain mushrooms that um, cause people digestive upset. There's also people who develop allergies um, to mushrooms. Mm -hmm. Like a really good friend of mine, uh, as a kid, he picked uh, chanterelles and Big Sur all the time. Um, and at some point, kind of later in his life, he developed an allergy to them and he would get red and itchy and now he just can't eat chanterelles at all. That's sad. Yeah, That's for sure. Very good. I um I had some when my daughter was bringing over the chanterelles from the restaurant. I didn't like know what to do with them, and they were pretty dirty. So I had to clean them off of the water, which had them suck in a bunch of water. Yeah. Um. But what I did that turned out really good is I took them and I chopped them up really small, and I made like a chowder mm. out of them, and it ended up tasting like um, uh, what is oyster? Uh, not oysters. What are they called? Those those animals. Oh my gosh, my brain. <laughs> what is like um. The clam, clam. Oh, okay. Sorry, yeah. my brain. Clam chowder. Oh. And it tastes it, it tasted so good. And I was like, I had no idea that these would taste like clams. And so the it tasted like a like a Boston clam chowder with all the chanterelles. And yeah. so um yeah, that was really yummy too. And so sometimes I know when you go foraging, they get so dirty and they're supposed to have the brush. And then I just kinda I didn't have the patience. But it when you add them to soup. Yeah. You kind of don't mind that they're a little slimy. Yeah. So, sure. um, yeah. So that was really good. Yeah. I do that too. Like, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. The nickname for chanterelles a lot of times is mud puppies because mm -hmm. they'll, they'll just be like a little piece of it poking out from underneath like dirty really? mud. Yeah. And so I tend to use the sprayer on uh, my sink. And then after that, I put it on a rack and let it dry, okay. just air dry for like four hours or a couple oh, I might hours. Have I should have done that. I think I was feeling impatient. Yeah, making totally. <laughs> so that's yeah, like, you're what? You're kind of soggy. We're going to, yeah. we're going to throw you in some soup. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. And then lion. Okay. Lion's mane. Cool. And so the other thing uh, I wanted to ask you about was um, the extracts. So I'd never yeah. really 
you know, I, I, you eat them, you forage them and you have them whole. And uh, so obviously use the extract in your popsicles, but are, you know, are extracts something that like people can, can use and add to, to other things too, or let's talk a little bit about extracts. I had never really thought about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, And extracts. So they've basically gone through a process. Um, There's uh, tinctures, double extractions and triple extractions. Uh, Tincture is just where you take a mushroom and you soak it in a, a high proof alcohol. And that removes all of the alcohol soluble chemicals in there, um, which kind of gets like usually like half of the benefits out of it. So that's why I would really recommend double extracts where it's also been processed through hot water. Um, and then the third extraction method is through cold water because apparently the temperatures can also um, change which compounds come out of it. Heating things up can sometimes ruin some of the the benefits of things that are in there yeah yeah so um but it just makes all that all that goodness uh bioavailable because if you don't cook a mushroom and you just eat it as is the chitin in the cell walls isn't really able to be broken down by your body um so you know something like uh like porcini or truffles where you may not actually cook it uh a lot of times it's mostly just for flavor mm-hmm. um so yeah uh so i'm a little hesitant to just like uh, to say you'll be getting the benefits out of actually i don't think you would be getting many of the benefits out of it i'm sure you'll still get something out of it if you eat uh, mushrooms that haven't been cooked and have been dehydrated mm-hmm. um but if you have the time i would definitely uh you know put it through at least two of those processes or um source uh extracts from you know you can get it at lots of whole food stores and, mm-hmm. yeah uh, and just like drop it in your mouth if you're wanting the benefits of mushrooms that maybe don't want to eat them necessarily, yeah. which are your popsicles. So what level of extracts do you use in your popsicles? Yeah. So um, there's half a gram of mushroom extracts in each one of them. Uh, and I say half a gram, that's on the, like, if something went wrong, they would be at half a gram. More than likely, they're more like uh, like 0.6 to 0.7 of a gram of uh, mushroom extracts in there. I just always want to make sure everybody's like getting what they paid for. And is that a dosage usually? Like, is that a good dose? Like if someone was like, I want it and you might not know this and it's probably something you can Google, but is that like a good daily dosage of of a mushroom extract to reap the benefits of it? Yeah. So I think generally it's considered that um, between a half a gram and three grams is um, like, uh, you know, three grams would be like if you're struggling with some serious health issues, then you and you really want to get as much of the benefits as possible. You might go to that upper edge. Uh, You could certainly take more. But I just know that um, what I've read online and in books is that, yeah, usually between half a gram and three grams and Again, I don't believe that there are any like negative side effects unless you're allergic to them. So with the thought of like kids in mind, I wanted to start it off on like a lower end. Yeah. Um, so those of you, I just opened one and this is the um, roasted chocolatey creamy Chagachino Verve. Yeah. Shout out to Verve. Yeah. But it's a little smiley face. I love these. And so they're good for kids. That's also a good way to get for kids to get them too is through popsicles. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't recommend um, the coffee one because there is caffeine in that one. Okay. And same with uh, the Tremella La Macha. It has green mm-hmm. tea in there. How's yeah, it? Really good. Yeah. What makes them creamy? Uh, it's a cashew and coconut milk base. Oh, yum. Yeah. So let's talk about the other thing I really love that you guys were doing are all your sustainable business practices. And um, I just think we need more people out here being conscious in the way that you guys are and, you know, spending their money with with businesses that are that are working consciously. And so 
I know that maybe one of the things I really loved is how you're very conscious about bees. So maybe talk a little bit about that and and yeah. why you did that and what you guys do. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'll start off by saying uh, that I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with Paul Stamets, who mm. is, if you've seen Fantastic Fungi, he's like, you know, uh, kind of he's like- a mushroom guy. He's a mushroom evangelist. And like, without a doubt, he inspired me. Um, but I actually went to the showing uh, at the Rio um, when Fantastic Fungi came here to town and he spoke and he gave the speech about um, saving the bees. And I was like, heck yeah, like take my wallet, you know, I want to save the bees in my backyard. And he was like, oh, in a couple months, we're coming out with a product, which is a bee feeder, uh, and a bee feeder, because a lot of times I say that and people are like, beef eater. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a feeder for bees. Um, but it has, it's just simple syrup and then it has some mushroom extracts in it. And he showed through a, a few different uh, research studies that he did that it improves the outcomes uh, of bees that have colony collapse disorder by like some ridiculous amount. So mushrooms help bees too? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, after, honestly, I probably waited two years after he made that announcement that like, you know, I'm going to have a product for like local people who want to just like help the bees in their backyard. And uh, at a certain point I was like, you know, I'm not waiting for this guy to come out with a, with a thing. I'm just going to do it on my own. So I looked through his research and found kind of the ratios and the types of mushrooms that he used in simple syrups. And I bought some uh, bee feeders uh, <laughs> and I put them in our front yard. And it was so funny because uh, I put it right in front of our front door. I don't know what I was thinking, uh, but I put it right there. And it was probably like three, four, five days went by, no bees at all. Uh, eventually I found a bee crawling on the ground and I was like, yes, all right, come here. Like, and I picked it up on a leaf and put it on the feeder and the bee drank from it. was like, oh, you know, got some life back in it and flew off. Um, couple days went by, nothing really happened. And then on like the third day, my wife calls and she's like, oh my God, there's so the many bees. Yeah. She was literally like, I can't leave the house. There's a swarm of bees in front of our house. And they drained that entire thing. It was like kind of like a mason jar full of syrup. And they they went drained back. It that one went back and told everybody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So I've been like doing that stuff. Uh, and I actually bought a bunch of feeders. Uh, and I have the the mixture. I haven't released it as a product yet just because I've been dragging my feet. Well, I mean, really, we've been focusing full bore on popsicles. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if anyone listening is really excited about that and can't wait, uh, hit me up and I would be happy to get that to you. So anybody can get one of these these bee feeders and <laughs> and put them at their house just to help bee colonies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, oh, that's so neat. Yeah. And um, and is it, is there any connection between bees and fungi like there is between bees and like flowers or not really? I mean, so one of the stories that Paul Stamis told was, and the reason why he got into bees was because he keeps bees up in Washington where he lives. Uh, and he had a, a wine cap bed, like the mushrooms I showed you in that picture. Um, and he said that he noticed them um, going like under the wood chips and like kind of drinking some of the moisture off of the mycelium. And so he thought like, oh, whoa, like, you know, maybe there's something to this. Uh, and then he started, you know, promoting the studies about using mushrooms and like, sure enough, it turns out that it's really good for bees. Yeah. Um, and That's so cool. Yeah. And so other than that, like, I personally can't say what the direct connection might be, but I just know that everything is connected. Um, so yeah, the, yeah. And even like certain mushrooms grow, um, after like, I think it's called the agaricon which was talked about in the uh, fantastic fungi, but up North in Washington, bears will scratch trees. Mm -hmm. 
and then those mushrooms will grow on those scratch marks where the bears were. Um, yeah. You know, and I know bears like honey and yeah. Nature is so connected. Yeah. I love those stories and I'm probably going to butcher it. But, you know, like when they, uh, I think when they released wolves back into Yellowstone or something, right? And it, um, it made it so that all these other plants started growing because the the wolves started eating the deer and the deer stopped eating as much of the the plants that were along the side of the river and it brought back such a better balance to everything and yeah. it really does matter you know it's like you would think that the bear that's just scratching on the side of a tree that's just scratching on the side of a tree but it, it sets off this whole chain reaction of all these necessary things that have to happen so that there's balance yeah in in the in the ecology there and I, I love stuff like that and it you know, the littlest action makes a big impact both negatively and positively sometimes. Yeah. So those little things that people do, I feel like sometimes people don't feel like they can make a difference, but I really think they can. Yeah. And I guess actually I should have mentioned too. So the agaricon, the mushroom that grows after the bear scratch on a tree is the same mushroom that he found is really helpful for bees. Mm. Um, so it's like yeah, that Love full that. circle thing. Yeah. So you said that you're upset with Paul Stamets. Did you say that? Yeah. But why? Because he he won't release his bee thing or because something else? Well, because of the bee thing. Mm -hmm. And then also um, he discovered a combination of uh, fungi that basically would uh, replace all pesticides. Mm -hmm. He basically said, if you treat your house with this once, your house will be covered for 10 years and there's nothing toxic about it. Uh, yeah. But he... Uh, I believe he leased out the patent that he had on it to um, like Dow or one of these major chemical companies. And of course, they're going to block that because that would kill off all their sales. Yeah. But that um, as far as I know, that patent uh, like came back to him because he had, you know, he like kept proprietary uh, control mm -hmm. over it, but just basically leased it to them. Um, right. You know, and I said, I'm sure that they just, you know, did that so that they would keep it from getting onto the market. Um, and so Such a at that same fantastic fun guy, he was talking about how like, oh yeah, it's going to be available for, uh, consumers to buy this sometime in the near mm -hmm. future. And again, it's like, he's so good at, at really like, uh, showing all the different ways that mushrooms can help. Mm -hmm. But then he has some promises he's not delivering. His on. follow through is just, yeah, he's like a great <laughs> businessman and like, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. What was the other thing I was going to ask you? So talk up a little bit more about some of your sustainable business practices that you want to feature. Yeah, right. for sure. I mean, it's really important to us. Uh, and, you know, like you can probably see on this one. Well, actually, I'll show you on that side. But yeah. there's a green strip that says it's compostable. Oh, all the plastic on the outside is compostable? Yeah, none of it's plastic. It's all oh, um, like bio-based. Uh, so we showing plastic, popsicles yeah. for those on the, and that one, the video. Yeah, that's another one. But uh, even these ones that don't have the strip on it, they're all plastic free. They're all, and the best part is too, they're home compostable. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, yeah. The That's thing. a big thing is people see all the compostable uh, containers, but a lot of the time you need a special compostable facility yeah. to compost it. Yeah. Composting is actually a pretty hard process. Yeah. Like it has to be the perfect balance between, and, and you know this, but for those yeah. listening, you know, I've done compost. I used to live on a bunch of land up in Aptos. So I know you have to have like the perfect combination of wet and dry and air and you have to turn it and dig it. Yeah. And it did throw some of the compostable stuff in there. Yeah. And it took a lot of work for it to break down. It didn't break down like the other natural stuff I had in there. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. The greenwashing sometimes kills me. So I love to hear that this is actually compostable and like someone's home compostable. Yeah, system. for sure. Yeah. Uh, and that was super important to us. Again, like, yeah, we just try to like keep really true to like the core things that we started with. 
Um, and we really wanted to make a healthy community and offer a product that helps uh, our community to be healthy. And to us, it's like, if we want a healthy community, we have to have healthy bodies. We also have to have a healthy environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we didn't really want to compromise on any of that. It has made some of the stuff more difficult for us to do. Mm-hmm. Um, like this packaging, if it directly touches dry ice, it'll like shatter into shards. Oh, okay. So we've had to kind of tailor. To dry ice to keep everything cold. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we figured it out. You know, we use these like reusable plastic tubs. Um, but yeah, and it also really, I did want to say too, that it started with our health. We're like, okay, mm-hmm. if this business isn't healthy for us as individuals, how can we expect to spread like, you know, health to our communities? Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, part of that was just like staying true to ourselves and not mm-hmm. getting caught up and just making money for the sake of that. Like we were like, no, we're on a mission here, you know? Yeah. We want to have this be healthy all the way around and not yeah. make any compromises. Oh, I love that. Yeah. How long have you guys been doing this for? Yeah. So it was great. So just the popsicle aspect mm-hmm. has been a little over three months now. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So brand new. I yeah. didn't realize that. I found you guys. I'm like, I like what they're doing. I want yeah. to talk to them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Super new. Uh, it's super exciting though. You know, when we first started this, we're like, okay, you know, we'll give it a try and we'll see how people react to it. Mm-hmm. And people's reaction has consistently been so overwhelmingly positive and so receptive to the idea. You know, some people who are like very anti-mushroom people will kind of go Ugh, and walk away and like, that's okay. It's, it's, you know, it's not always for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people who see it and they're like, what? It like, didn't taste like so mushrooms excited. at all. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah. That was kind of one of my litmus tests mm-hmm. too, was uh, my sister is a very anti-mushroom person. Yeah. And so I was like- She's your she taste tester. It, yeah, exactly. If she eats it and likes it, then I know we've got something good. And she ate it and she was like, wow, that was really good. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And again, like back to like, we want as many people to be able to enjoy the benefits of the nutritional benefits mm-hmm. of mushrooms as possible. So we made it really easy. It's like, you know what to do with a popsicle. Um, yeah. Before this, we were making mousses. Um, like a very similar recipe in mousse form. And I had a lot of people who were like, what do I do with this? Like, mm-hmm. and you know, some people would like spread it on toast or something, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, eat it however you want, but I had intended yeah. it just to be eaten with a spoon. Yeah. Whereas with a popsicle, like, like it's dessert, got yeah. a spoon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the popsicles, like there's no confusion, you know? Yeah. So that's easy. Like kids know what to do with it. And it's just like, hopefully yeah. like little by little, like yeah. all these little actions by all these like They'll different spread. people and businesses will improve health. Do you guys just sell these locally? Uh, yeah, we do a little bit of, of uh, stuff over the hill. Um, we're looking to getting into um, like events and markets in San Francisco mm-hmm. um, and Monterey as well. Um, but yeah, our kind of like bigger vision is just staying a Bay Area brand. Yeah, okay. we have really no intention of becoming some major like no shipping. So for anybody who might be listening to this that's out of the area, yeah, you have to come to Santa Cruz. It's Visit true. us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so one of the other things I just wanted to kind of start to, to maybe wrap up with a couple last bits of information that you could share is, uh, what do you think is a mushroom fact that most people don't know, but they should know? Oh yeah. That's so good. There's so many, um, um, mushroom fact. Uh, okay. Yes. I got one for you. All right. So, uh, before there were trees on earth, there were like giant 25 foot mushrooms, and at that point, there weren't humans walking around on Earth, at least as far as we know now. Um, but our earliest ancestors were these little like shrew-like mammal creatures. And not only would um, those shrews basically eat into the mushroom, uh, so it was their food source, but they would also live inside of the mushroom. So when I the think about... Tail land. Yeah. And I just think about how that um, 
if you went back through all of our ancestors, all the way to the point of those little rodents munching on these mushrooms, there is something so deeply ingrained in us uh, to have this really uh, like vital relationship with mushrooms. He's symbiotic. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I like I mentioned at the beginning, I um, I once I started learning about more about health and about how important mushrooms were and powerful for health. And then I started realizing and digging into it more and just realizing the connection that they have to everything on the earth and how they connect all the different plants and animals and, you know, that they mushrooms can eat plastic. And I even think that that you're using mushrooms now to like um, deal with radioactive like Fukushima and Chernobyl and all these things. And, um, you know, I know that Paul, if you're listening, you know, release the goods. Um, you know, they're just so important for our world. And um, I so appreciate you uh, you sharing all of this. And I hope that uh, if if people were to take, you know, one or two things away from this conversation, what would you want them to take away? Uh, I mean, so this is something that I say at all of the like mushroom cultivation classes that I teach. And that's that I really believe that the more people who get involved in um, growing and learning about mushrooms, that the healthier our environment's going to be and the healthier our, body or, our bodies are going to be. Um, and so, you know, we were talking about foraging in the beginning. And I really just want to say that if you are at all interested in looking for mushrooms, like don't let anyone stop you, you know, be smart about it, but go out and do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are the resources would you say for people who want to forage and are scared? Is there a book you think is a really good book or uh, some kind of online identifier? Is there somewhere where you can like send a sample in? You know, how do people do it? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, the Santa Cruz Fungus Federation is probably the best resource there is. Um, the book that I started with was uh, All That the Rain Promises and More. Um, so that's a great book. It's got a, I think it's called a dichotomous, uh, key where it's basically like, oh, does it have, uh, you know, like a, a stock or does it grow off a tree? And then you kind of follow the trail until it helps you identify it. Um, but I would say like, if you're a beginner, definitely get somebody who knows what they're doing. Uh, and the fungus federation is a great source for that. And do, so, you know, in, in California, we live in such and especially Santa Cruz, such a unique place where we have the redwoods and, um, but you know, I would do most places have the federations, like places who have like forests nearby. It's like, you know, if you're by a forest, you'll have a, a fungi federation or how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. A lot of towns. I mean, you know, there's one in San Francisco, San Mateo, yeah. um, Humboldt, Mendocino. Uh, I'm sure there's some down South too. And there's a lot of really good Facebook groups too. Um, like foragers of California, um, mushroom pickers in the Northwest, like stuff like that. And what about, yeah. so are mushrooms localized more to like West Coast or do like the, does the East Coast have a similar type of, you know, mushroom subculture and does like the Midwest, like, is it all over? Mushrooms are everywhere, obviously, but like what we have here, are we unique or is it, is there this happening everywhere? Um, I mean, just in my experience, I think that Santa Cruz is like a very mushroomy place it does yeah. feel like that yeah. and i was wondering you know yeah, yeah. i think people uh, appreciate them more i think more people are engaged in actually foraging and yeah. looking for them um so i think we're in a really special place for it mm -hmm. um and that's yeah one of the other reasons why i was like ah it's, it's like santa cruz fungi you know because like yeah. santa cruz is the place where i just know it's going to be well received yeah um but that's with so that cool. said there is that subculture like yeah throughout the world really yeah, yeah it's so big right now and this was such a cool conversation yeah. i really really appreciated everything you shared and 
the best of luck with these awesome popsicles. And I'm so excited. I know I ate one here on, on video while we were talking, but there's so many different flavors. I can't wait to try them all. And yeah, thank you so much. It's thank been you great so much for having me. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for listening to Humanize the Hustle podcast. If you would like to get in touch with the show, email me at myalchemylife at gml.com or follow me on Instagram at wellnesswithalicia. And if you like the show, please share it with someone you love and make sure and give us a five-star review. Talk to you next time. And remember, health and happiness is non-negotiable.